Hey guys, so in this video, I think you'll see something like a unicorn because I have actually talked with a top executive investment banker about his personal life. We talked about all sorts of stuff, including his journey and personal story, how he became to who he is today. We talked about emotions, how he finds it completely normal to cry, for instance, and he shared his very intimate things about his relationship to his father and how he, how he lost his son. Eventually, we talked about, about nice guys and how he deals with the nice guy within himself and the nice guy around him. For those of you who don't know, nice guys are people who claim that they are nice because they want to be nice people. It's like their value. But the truth is that they are just afraid to be real and to really say what are their true opinions, feelings, and desires because they are, feeling, they are afraid to make other people upset and they are afraid of their rejection. So they suppress it all. And the only thing they do is they try to fit in the environment so that they're accepted and approved. As a result, they are frustrated and it's very difficult to find out who they really are. It's difficult to work with them. So this, is, this was also the topic that, that we touched. A disclaimer for people who are looking for technical information, we did not talk about finance, we did not talk about the global economy, and so you're most likely not going to find out when the next financial crisis comes. So if you're looking for the personal life, go ahead and enjoy. Hey guys, I'm here today with George Juszczak. Hello. George is an executive director of JP Morgan, the largest investment bank on Wall Street. And I'm very excited to be here with you. Thank you for having me. So, on LinkedIn I found that at the moment you are executive director of JP Morgan yep. and seller executive. But I know that you do, you do a lot more. Like you have a lot more activities in education and in program yep. activities. So yeah, yeah, it's very important for me. Yeah. So tell me, tell me more. Who are you? What do you do? Uh, so, well, you know, I've been with J.P. Morgan for quite a long time. Uh, for many years, I worked on Wall Street uh, first for Ben Stearns and then for J.P. Morgan. And for the last ten or so years, I've been based in Vienna, uh, where uh, I'm heading eleven countries from the sales perspective for asset management. Mm -hmm. I see. How about the educational activities? So I'm, uh, I'm an advisory committee member of the Central European University and I'm also uh, an honorary dean uh, at a different university. Uh, and I love to teach. Uh, I love to talk to the next generation. And I always say that uh, one of our greatest responsibilities is not to screw it up so bad that your generation cannot fix it anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's how we met actually. I was, you were doing a lecture, I think it was Chinese markets and the future of, of something. It was eight years ago. Yeah, <laughs> it was a long time ago. Sure. Now we are living this future probably. So yeah. we are still here and the world has not ended. <laughs> yeah. So how was your journey here? Like what, what shaped your opinions and your decisions to go into investment banking and to stay in for how many years now? Uh, almost 15. 15 years. Yeah. So, uh, it, it has been a very, very long journey. Uh, I was born in Hungary. Uh, I'm Hungarian by birth and I, I was born in a, in a relatively small town in northeastern Hungary, very close to uh, Lutzenjac, uh, 
Nem filakovó. And my family has migrated down over the last couple hundred years from Poland. My grandparents were born in Slovakia, and then I was already born in Hungary. So I'm a true Central European. Looks like your kids will end up in Serbia. Right, exactly. So my children will end up in Serbia. And when I grew up, it was still socialism. So we were under the Soviet occupation, and life was different before the Berlin Wall fell. My father was a very powerful man. He was head of a state farm in the region, and everything I have done in life was largely because of my father. So when I failed at a class, it was because of my father. And a lot of times when I got the best marks at school. It was because of his power, and it has been a key motivation in my life to to be able to stand on my own, to show what I'm able to do, that I'm I'm strong and smart on my own, and not because of of who is my father. That being said, I love my father, who unfortunately passed away a long time ago. But then, you know, when the Berlin Wall fell, everything has changed. Soon after my father died. Uh, and I have decided uh, that was uh, that was the era. It was the wild, wild east of money making in Central and Eastern Europe. Everything was for sale, and cash was king. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was the first time when people came with conspiracy theories of uh, who controls the world. Is the world controlled by five Jews from New York uh, mm -hmm. sitting in Brooklyn, or you know all, all these kind of things? And uh, I finished University of Agriculture. I loved economy uh, and I started f first work in sales, but actually in 1993 I went to the US for two years. It was an exchange program with the State University of Minnesota and I was doing everything. Uh, despite of studying at the university, I was a forklift driver, I was fixing roofs, uh, uh, I was uh, working on an orange farm and at the same shoveling snow and at the same time uh, uh, studying at the university. And then when I came back to Hungary to finish the university here, uh, I started to work uh, uh, in, in sales and then soon it turned out that I have an affinity to mergers and acquisitions. So for my employer, we started buying companies in Hungary uh, in this area and, uh, and it, always, uh, it was always a question for me how the world is controlled, what, what, what drives the world ahead. And I just couldn't stay in Hungary anymore. Uh, and I, I started to do my MBA. Uh, and at the end, I ended up at Case Western University in Cleveland, Ohio. And it was the late 90s or the end of the 90s. And I graduated there. And when I graduated, I fell in love with America. Uh, and when I graduated there, I had a professor who I, I really admired, uh, who told me one of the most beautiful words I have ever heard. He said, uh, "America needs people like you," mm -hmm. and and I said, "Okay," uh, and I'm going to stay. Uh, and that's when I started to work in a bank, uh, first in Cleveland, and you know my wife came after me, and uh, one thing led to another. So I went through the classic route of uh, student visa, working visa, green card, and then citizenship, and that's how I got to Wall Street at the end. And I got to Wall Street in. I think it was 2003 or 2004, 
worked for Bear Stearns and then for JP Morgan. And I felt extremely lucky. It was before the financial crisis when I got to Wall Street. And I fell in love with that world. Uh, and I fell in love with the US because I, I never forget my first job interview in Cleveland when I tried to give my resume to the president of the bank. And he said, don't give me your resume. Doesn't matter where you come from. This is the United States. Everybody comes from somewhere. Uh, tell me why should I hire you? Uh, why should I finance your salary? What can you do for me? And where do you see yourself in three years or five years? So this sort of uh, looking ahead instead of looking back uh, was a very, very positive thing for me in the US. And uh, uh, you know, all in my life I've been studying. I love books. I have more than 3,000 books at home. I love the smell of the books, holding the books uh, and everything around it. Uh, and I never stopped studying. I just fell in love with knowledge. And when I got to Wall Street, I realized that there is no secret conspiracy here. There is no secret society or secret group. It's as simple as people sitting on the trading desk and buying and selling. And this sort of a, a greed is not the right word. It's a, <laughs> greed is good from the, from the movie Wall Street. Uh, it's not the right word, but this I, I would call it like a motivational greed. Uh, to be able to compete, to be able to feel, you know, if you come from Central and Eastern Europe, you always have, or many times you have a problem with self-esteem. You feel less. The way I say it is that I have the bad guy accent from the James Bond movies. You know what I mean? <laughs> probably know what I mean. <laughs> and you always have this problem with, with, with self-esteem, or a lot of us do, that we feel less than Austrians mm. or less than Germans, and etc., etc., etc. And when you go to the US, you realize that this is not the case. It's an open field for competition, uh, and it's everybody's game. And that gave me a platform of, uh, of, of fair competition. Uh, and it also taught me that uh, people are good and people are completely equal. Doesn't matter what is the color of your skin, doesn't matter what is your religion or sexual orientation, diversity makes us strong. And being different makes us strong. Uh, so I, I'm, I completely uh, cherish uh, the idea of diversity and I change the idea of different opinions. The important thing is that as long as we can talk to each other uh, as civilized beings, it is fine. It makes us stronger as, as humanity. And these are very strong driving forces for me uh, in life and in mm -hmm. career. And then basically 10 years ago, uh, I accepted a job uh, with, uh, with JP Morgan Asset Management and now I'm looking after 11 countries. Uh, I have two children, so we moved to Vienna, uh, and they moved to New York as well. Uh, and I also felt that it's time to, to give back something to the place where I was originally coming from. Uh, and I mean the region in general, uh, Central and Eastern Europe, including Russia now. Uh, because, you know, it's, it's very interesting. I never wanted to be number one in life. It was never my goal to win, uh, but it was the most important goal I ever had is to make sure that I did the best I could. And that's sometimes even worse than wanting to be number one. <laughs> because when you go to bed at night and you close your eyes and you say that 
did I do the maximum today? And you have to answer this question to yourself. That's a very, very big question. Mm. And that's a very, very tough question. So uh, I never wanted to be number one. And when, you know, when I was on Wall Street, and we lost a child, unfortunately, and my wife got very, very sick, and the investors went bankrupt. So within a relatively short period of time, everything in my life blew up. And it's, again, a very American thing. It doesn't matter how you fall. What matters is how you get up. Mm. So don't, don't cry uh, that you have fallen. Uh, the question is that how can you stand up and how can you be strong again? Uh, and so it was my goal going to Wall Street was never to become a millionaire. I never wanted a yacht. I never wanted a Ferrari or a Picasso. Uh, I don't judge the people who want that. I'm just a different type of person. I wanted to show myself that from a very small town in northeastern Hungary, you can make this journey, even if you studied agriculture in your first degree, uh, that you can do it. And that drive, that, uh, the simple fact that I made it to Wall Street and I succeeded there, that was enough for me. And when my first daughter was born, the motivation became different. The motivation became the children. And that's when I stopped skydiving, uh, when I stopped uh, playing poker actively and all the other crazy mountaineering stuff uh, I've done before. Uh, and then the next generation becomes important. And that's when I decided that I accept the job and I moved the family to Vienna. It's just the quality of life is much better in Vienna if you have children there in New York. Yeah. Wow. That's a journey. <laughs> in a nutshell. You said that you asked this question, if I did all you could during the day. How do you, how do you evaluate this? Because like, mm -hmm. it's a very tenacious, because it always is, is based on, on your criteria. And if your criteria are too high and it yeah. are impossible to actually fulfill, then that's what creates the feeling of never good enough. Right. So, how so let's be very frank about it. I'm, I'm extremely competitive, right? Uh, I'm extremely competitive, not just in life and in business, uh, but uh, but also with myself. Mm -hmm. And that can be uh, that can be very difficult because it's a very difficult thing to balance in life because it can become self-destructive. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a born maximalist, and. Unfortunately, many people, especially in my field, in, in, in banking, uh, think that being a maximalist is a good thing. No, it can be self-destructive. So it, it is a very fine balance uh, to find in life. Uh, that uh, There are no rules for it. This is something that you feel that you have done your best or you have not. Uh, what we discussed before we started this interview is uh, being accepted by others is very important for me. I do a lot of public speaking and I, I speak to investors and I, I speak to uh, other uh, individuals, uh, sometimes in front of extremely large crowds, even 3,000 people uh, at certain times. Uh, and the feedback is very important for me. It's very important for me to be liked. Mm -hmm. uh, but what is even more important for me is to be liked by myself. Uh, the inner thing that I, I, I'm good, that what I did is good. Uh, it doesn't always work. Mm. So that's what we discussed, that that's exactly why people do burn out. 
and people suddenly just leave the industry and they start to bake muffins or whatever mm -hmm. I told you. Uh, uh, or they do self-destructive things, alcoholism, cocaine, whatever, yeah. you name it. Uh, yeah. So it's always a fine balance in life. What really helps a lot uh, is to look into the eyes of your children. Mm -hmm. And or your partner, mm -hmm. who you love, and that that gives strength. But it's it's a fine balance uh, not to forget about them when you are so competitive and when you mm -hmm. travel so much. Mm -hmm. We like earlier we talked about the nice guy syndrome, which is a psychological condition. I would say when someone claims that their value is nice, and they are presenting themselves as nice, but the truth is in their deepest selves that they are seeking validation mm -hmm. they are nice just to get validation and they are willing to sacrifice their true thoughts their true feelings mm -hmm. that their, their truth so they will never show anger they will never show shame because it's bad they will never show sadness never show fear mm -hmm. they want to create this perfect image of themselves so that they are accepted and validated by others and this is the true motivation of someone who is called a nice guy to be liked by others and it's very good what you said i really liked it that it's important to be liked by others, but it's even more important to be liked by yourself. Yeah. Uh, look, don't forget that uh, we live in a masculine society. And especially the job what I do is, is very masculine, uh, which I don't believe is correct. Uh, so gender equality is very, very important for me. And pay equality for women is very important for me. I, for one second, don't feel that I'm better than anybody, any woman or anybody uh, who I work with. Uh, and this is very, very, very important for me. Uh, but if you think about what I said about my life journey, uh, part of the motivation was this validation because of my dad, because of my father, mm. because he was big and strong and I wanted to be big and strong as well. And uh, I wanted to be validated that I'm doing the right thing. And as I said, it's extremely important for me that uh, people think that I'm uh, not just strong, uh, but also uh, also accepted and also liked. Uh, that's, that's, an, that's an important uh, trait. At the same time, uh, I'm not afraid to, to be emotional. I'm one of those guys who can cry during the movie, even a TV commercial. <laughs> if it's emotional enough, I will start to cry and I, I'm not afraid to admit it. Uh, it's it's living your life and I'm, I'm not being you know I always thought to myself that I really really and this is how we live with my wife you know I've been with my wife for more than 25 years uh, is that we, we don't want to be 90 years old sitting under the big oak tree and looking back at our life and saying oh wish we have done this or wish we have tried that mm. or wish we have visited that we live our life in a way that like, I tell you an example, when, when we have a, a celebration in the family, you know, like an anniversary or, or, or birthday or, or whatever, we usually don't give material gifts to each other. We give experiences. We go somewhere. Uh, we travel somewhere. It's something what we, you know, what, uh, what we like to do. And uh, you know, especially because I'm traveling so much and I'm, I'm not home a lot. Uh, we like to be together and ex experience things together. And this is important. At the same time, though, I'm also a materialist. I, I collect things. And it's very, very hard for me to let go of certain things. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's a very, every human being is very complex. So yeah. I, I don't think that there is right or wrong. 
What's the material thing you like the most right now? Oh, uh, I mean, I, I have a fairly large collection of comic books. Of comic books? Uh, comic books, actually, yeah. I never read uh, any, any one of them. <laughs> but I'm a collector of comic books and I'm a collector of a lot of things. I'm collecting poker cards, mm -hmm. uh, chips, poker chips. Uh, I, I love my, my bike. I sold my parachute when my daughter was born. Uh, but I still have my Harley, uh, and I do like to ride my Harley. Uh, and I live my uh, this professor. My, I mentioned you this professor uh, at uh, at Case Western. He told me something which I live my life by ever since. He told me that every single year, start a new hobby. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what it is. It can be the most odd thing in the world, but something what. Uh, something what keeps you alive and something what keeps you fresh and ever since then every year uh, i figured out a new hobby and it can be crazy things like one year in the us uh, i needed to buy a new computer so i figured out how hard must it be to build your own computer so i did the research on the internet and i bought, bought the books and uh, i built this water-cooled computer uh, for gaming uh, <laughs> Or another year, it was I learned palm reading because that was palm reading. Palm reading. So yeah, can you show my palm? You can it, it's very good when you go to the toilet in the morning and you forget to take, <laughs> take the newspaper. <laughs> you just read your own palm. Well, it was also with the, with the Harley, you know, that we became members of the Cleveland Harley Club uh, one year, and then so every year, and, or a couple of years, I, I wanted to complete the Rubik's cube myself so my record is 36 seconds which is i know that people can do it in three seconds or so but that uh, was the goal and then you started to look at the rubik's cube in january and then by the year and then it was good i saw a chinese guy who had three yeah. cubes and he was juggling with them yeah. and as he was juggling he was also he was also making the adjustments and he did all three of them in like one minute but you see it comes back to the point that with this, my goal was never to be the, the number one in the world in uh, completing the Rubik's Cube. I never wanted to be the fastest. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do it to a level that I felt satisfied. Yeah. And then I moved on to the next thing. I see. Uh, it's just, uh, that's how it is. Yeah. <laughs> you have a very unique experience in Barron's terms because it was the bank that basically collapsed during the financial crisis and you were on the front line of what was happening and which was happening right, right. the whole the whole planet mm. so what i'm curious about is how does the decision making process works then when markets when everything goes crazy there is a there's chaos and volatility no one no one really knows what's going on because this situation never happened before mm -hmm. but decisions must be made anyway because not making a decision makes it even worse right so, so you are asking this in a, in a human context, right? Yes, yes. You, uh, so, uh, every crisis is an opportunity. Uh, crisis is extremely scary uh, at first when you don't know what is happening. So for me, so first of all, I wasn't a top manager at Ben's Terms at that time. Uh, but, uh, you know, for me, being alone in the US with my wife, just the two of us, so we don't have relatives, we don't have, uh, we, we never had a big sponsors or, or whatever uh, protecting us or helping us. It was just what we have achieved ourselves there. Uh, and to see that collapse 
and disappear virtually within one week. Banksters went down the drain in one, one single week, everything was lost. And with that, everything what we have built, what we have worked for, all of our savings, everything was gone. And you are back to ground zero. Uh, and then, of course, you know, with the health issues uh, of, of my wife and, and, and my son, uh, things, you feel that you are in a maze and you cannot get out. And that's when some people turn to alcohol or turn to drugs or turn to religion or suddenly, you know, they, they, they need something. Something to grasp on. Yeah, something to grasp on. So, and, and something, the hardest thing for people to admit, you know, when we lost my son, uh, and, and for many years I struggled with this, but I wanted to find the reason why we lost him. Uh, and uh, the doctor said something, which I really struggled with for years, he said it's bad luck. But like, yeah, there was no medical, there was no uh, environmental reason, there was, it was just, for, for his condition, nobody knows, uh, science doesn't know why this happens, uh, so he said it's bad luck. And, you know, for people to accept uh, that shit happens in life, uh, and it's not because of God, unless you believe in God, of course, uh, but at that moment, it's not because of, of, of a higher power or not because of some conspiracy. It's just shit happens. Uh, and then you can move on. Uh, and what happened in my career with Ben Stearns, you know, I told you the first time when I went to the US, uh, you know, I was a forklift driver and I was uh, driving tractors on a farm and whatever. Uh, I was a welder, etc., etc. You can always reach back to that. So even today, uh, I'm, I'm really not afraid to get my hands dirty and work. And it's, it's very funny, we have a weekend house uh, in Hungary at Lake Balaton, because it was important for my children to experience what I had experienced when I was a child, and to, to teach them to, to work, to work around the garden, uh, to have mommy, etc., etc. So the point I want to make is that, you know, I have this uh, schizophrenic, thing in me that everybody every day sees me in suit and tie and uh, representing and, and, and having high level strategic decisions and discussions. On the weekends when I'm at the lake, I'm in a simple working clothes and working boots and dirty t-shirts and I'm uh, elbow up to grease and I love that. Uh, so, and it helps when crisis comes. So I have the truck driver's license, driving trucks, that I, I did that as well in the US. And I still have the driver's license. So I was always thinking that, okay, if, if shit hits the fan and everything collapses, mm -hmm. I become a truck driver. And then life will be good. So it's simply because you have so much education and because you became successful in life that doesn't make you a better person. It's not about money. Uh, it's not about being educated, uh, it's about being intelligent. It doesn't matter what you do in life, as long as you do it to the fullest and to the maximum. Mm. And again, it turns back to you don't have to be number one. I see. It's just, it doesn't matter if you're a carpenter, if you're a good carpenter. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a banker or, or whatever. And that's, that's, that's very important. It's being human, normal human being in my so one of the things is that you like no matter what happens, there always is a choice. Like there always can be something after that. It really rings the bell with what I teach when it comes to the emotions, because mm. people have this 
big fears and, and especially big fears of showing that they feel something or sadness or admitting their own shame. But what I'm always saying is that it's emotion. Like the worst case scenario from every situation is feeling shitty. Yeah. Like even even fear of death is fear, not death. Yeah. Like and it's, it's paradoxical because when you jump out of the out of the airplane, yeah. which you, you did quite a lot, yeah. you have this fear. But overcoming that fear paradoxically makes it so much better, makes everything so much better. Right, and exactly. Makes That's in yourself. And yeah. yeah, then it becomes a euphoric feeling. So the hardest thing is that you know when you first jump out, and everybody remembers their first jump, is when you let the good door go, because the the fear of falling is such a such a deep inside, such a genetic fear, the fear mm -hmm. of falling. But when you are four thousand meters up in the air and you let the door go, that, that, that second, and after that you just enjoy it. Uh, yeah. After that you, you just free fall, and if your parachute doesn't open, which, which will, uh, let's be positive about it, but if it doesn't open, the ground is only eight seconds away, so you might as well enjoy it. I'm just, <laughs> just, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, so, you know, uh, again, I'm, I'm not afraid to you know, the power of being able to start over. Of course, as you are getting older in life, it becomes harder. And, you know, the things like moving around different countries and living in different places becomes harder. Uh, but then again, naturally, your focus will turn to your children. And uh, you want to see yourself in your children. Again, we're going back to the father thingy. Uh, and, and I want... I, you know, there's, there's a saying in the U.S., somebody, somebody famous said this, that I want the last check I write in my life to bounce. What does it mean? There, there, is, there is no money for it. Ah, okay. You know, <laughs> so my goal is not to build castles to, to my daughters. My, my goal is to make them a strong, healthy, smart, uh, uh, and honest human beings. And if I can do that, that's worth then worth more than any inheritance they can get from me. You know what I mean? And that's, uh, so if I have to go back and reach back in, in life and I have to do something else, I will do something else. Yeah. I will stand up again. And, mm. uh, and that's, that's a powerful It's a beautiful thing you said. And I, just recently I have read somewhere that, uh, that accu accumulating wealth is a sign of insecurity. And Branson said that money exists to make things happen. Right. I mean, look, don't forget that you know, I'm in a competitive environment. Money is a good thing. Money measures success uh, in a lot of ways in what I do. Uh, but there is a limit to it. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, one of the largest problems we face as society, and I'm saying that as an economist, is, uh, is financial inequality. If you make $32,000 per year today, $32,000 or so, you are the richest 1% of the world. Can you imagine that? 99% of the world makes less. Mm. Uh, and th those are not lesser people. Yeah. They are exactly like us. Uh, now, of course, there are some people who are born into wealth. Uh, there are some people who build wealth. Uh, and, you know, I was one of those who, you know, I went the competitive way and I elbowed my way. Uh, but, th but that was a huge fight. And, and again, I'm not Jeff Bezos and I'm not, uh, you know, Jack Ma. What is your relation, uh, what, what, what is money for you? Uh, 
And what's your relationship to money? Uh, money, in, in a lot of, uh, in, in a big sense for me, is security. So being secure uh, by uh, by having financial by by having enough money uh, and and also a chance to to have fun mm -hmm. and again I don't have a Ferrari I don't have a Picasso I don't have a yacht it's just just being secure just just being okay that every, mm -hmm. everything is going to be fine if uh, if I lose my job or if something happens with the house or if there's something happens in the family. And uh, then, then I have a stability, and, and that's why I don't want to uh, be a multi-millionaire and accumulate too much because that's not my goal. That's not uh, that's not my motivation. Mm -hmm. But to be financially secure, that's extremely important, and that's exactly what I told you. That a lot of people, unfortunately, and even those people are still fortunate, but they live their life paycheck, paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's a very unsecure thing. I always wanted to avoid and I wanted to achieve enough in life that I don't have that. I can concentrate on my career and I concentrate on what I do, that I do that well, instead of being worried that month end is coming and how am I going to pay yeah. electricity. Yeah. That's the motivation. Yeah. I see. And when it comes to the the price value ratio how do you how do you see this because there are things that are expensive mm -hmm. relatively and are still sold and are not that high quality relatively speaking but also there are there are things of super high quality and people are struggling with selling them or people are not receiving enough money for them mm -hmm. i think this is a large part of, of, of this because there are people who are doing a great job in the world and are not receiving enough money, are, are, are not receiving the money they think they're worth, or they should be worth in the eyes of someone else, mm -hmm. and the other way around. So how do you see this? How do you determine price based on value? Or what's, what's this relationship for you? Uh, that's, that's a very interesting question. I never actually told that. I always thought that this is a free market. And we always, you know, again, this is very important. Not everything can be measured in money. So let's say if I buy my shoes, uh, I like to buy expensive shoes, not $3,000 shoes, but you know, a shoe which is normal shoe, which is $500. But this will be a shoe for the next 10 years. I mean, this I've been wearing it for, I don't know, six years. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is good quality, and I'm willing to pay price for that good quality. Uh, and I'm using it every day, so it gives me value right mm -hmm. uh, I'm not buying a Picasso for myself because that to me is not value it's uh, don't get me wrong please don't get me wrong Picasso is value but just not to my personal well-being and my personal wealth mm -hmm. that's why I wouldn't buy it so I made the choice that I'm not buying a Picasso because it wouldn't make me feel better that I have it it makes me much happier that it's in a museum and everybody can go there and enjoy it yeah and I think the point I want to make with this is that we are entering into an era, thank God, and hopefully we will succeed in it, that we learn that things which are, happen which are important around us, you cannot translate to money. Think about global warming, think mm -hmm. about climate change, uh, think about, uh, again, income inequality. We have to be able to solve this together as humanity. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it has nothing to do with, uh, you know, temperatures rising two, three centigrade, degrees centigrade, you know, in the next few years. That has nothing to do with money. 
Yes, well, in a certain way there is, of course, mm -hmm. but we have to come together because we will all suffer. So at the end, if, if the planet is going to be unlivable, then everybody will die. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter, you know, when you're six feet under, uh, the size of the coffin is the same for the very rich and the very poor. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's an important thing. Yeah. Um, I want to come back to the, to the nice guy thing we talked about earlier. Yeah. earlier. I'm curious what you said that when you came to the United States, you had this feeling of insecurity that I'm less because of because you compared yourself with people from the U.S. because of the accent with Austria yeah, and so yeah. on. What helped you to get through this the most? So uh, you know, I, it's not just me, but I think we in general in Eastern Europe have this feeling, uh, which is much less important today than it was at the time when the Berlin Wall fell. Today the world is globalized, everybody is using Apple and everybody is using Facebook, which, which, is, which is a natural equalizer of people. Okay? You see how people live in Peru and how they live in Japan and how they live in the US. That was a different time. So when I went to the US the first time, there was no internet. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's like one of those questions that many people are afraid to learn English because, or they're afraid to speak English because they're afraid what other, other people will think about them. Uh, and my English is not perfect, and who cares? I can make myself understood by other people, and that's good enough for me. Uh, so, you know, when I went to the US the first time, and I ended up on this farm, I ended up with a Brazilian guy. And we were both young, and the only person who spoke less English than me was him. Uh, but I remember the very first uh, weekend we, we had to go shopping for food and we went to this local Walmart with a truck and we were sitting next to each other in the truck uh, driving and it was a Michael Jackson song uh, on the radio and uh, we knew the refrain of the song but we didn't know the word itself so we sung the refrain and then suddenly we both shut up. <laughs> and then we looked at each other, we started crying, we looked at each other, we hugged each other, we cried and we said, okay, we're going to get through it. And for nine months uh, we lived together on the farm and we worked together. And it was a great experience and he was a very religious guy uh, from, from, uh, from uh, Brazil and he became a great friend. And that's when I realized that don't give a shit about these things, just go ahead and do it. It's much more, life is too short to be worried about uh, things like, you know, you are less than somebody else. No, you are not. No, no we, are all, we are all the same people. This is, this is quite easy to understand logically. But, but when you come into the field and you know, like you're, on, you're in the battlefield, yeah. and you are facing this rejection, like it's, it starts to be completely else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, look, there is, a, there is a tendency. I mean, it, it, it does happen today. Uh, even today it does happen, if I go in Vienna, I go to, I don't know, a place like a local government or something, and if I give my US passport, people will say, oh, New York, that's great, and I want to go there, or I've been there, or whatever. And if I give my Hungarian passport, they will say, oh, you've been living here for eight years and you don't speak German? What's going on? And you see, I'm exactly the same person. Yeah. But one passport is blue and US, the other one is red and Hungarian. But I'm the same person. Yeah. So it's the perception. Uh, yeah. what, and I haven't even opened my mouth yet. 
It's just the perception which these things give uh, you about us. That's that's what I mean, yeah. and to overcome that. And, uh, it's interesting how 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 this can change with like like how it's all just labels. It's all just yeah, labels put on things exactly. and on on what this means, what it means to be an American, what it means to be German. Yeah. yeah. And I have a, like I have a friend. She's Italian, and I'm from Slovakia, and I don't know that many Italian in Slovakia. Yeah, yeah. And I, I made a joke about her making pizza in my place or something like this. Yeah, yeah. And she was like, she hates that because everyone yeah, is doing course. this. Yeah, <laughs> everyone yeah. is asking her the same questions. Yeah. Everyone is making the same jokes and it's not funny anymore. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, it's true. Like, like, and it's the most, at the same time, it's the most cliche thing I could say. Right. Exactly. So, so what is inside of you and what kind of person you are on the inside? That's, uh, I think that's what matters, not where you are coming from. When, when we go philosophical for a second, mm -hmm. so how, how do you, I think this all comes down to the, to, to the answer to the question, who am I? Like, am I my body? Like apparently, like if I cut my arm, it's still it me. Hurts. Yeah. It hurts, but, but, but it's still me, so I'm not losing part of myself because the, the, the me still stays there. Right. If I, like, am I my name? Like I can change my name anytime. I can change, I can, I can't change anything in my past. But I'm not like my destiny is not determined by my past. I can do new decisions anyway, any, any day. So the the thing is like who who am I? Well, what do you what's your answer to this question? So uh, again, yeah, it's a very deep question. So number one, you are in the beginning. You are what your parents put into you uh, mentally and emotionally. Right? That's what I mean. It's what they taught you. Uh, that you don't steal, that you are honest, that you how do you behave in society and how do you treat others. Uh, then the second part is what can you add to society? That uh, you remember we discussed earlier that in the evening when you close your eyes, did I do my fullest today or not? Mm -hmm. uh, did I do something positive? Is, is what I'm doing is just for myself? Or am I making the world a better place by it? Am I helping others with it? I, it's very strange because I'm a banker, but I strongly believe in this. I strongly believe that I'm honest and ethical, and it really helps. What I do really, really helps because it's about people's savings, and it's about people's future. And we all know that the pension systems are, are really uh, under a lot of threat and people will not have enough savings when they are getting old, so I'm helping to do that in a way. And I'm very, very proud of that. Uh, and then the third thing is that you are the best mirror for yourself later in life is when you look into your children's eyes. Mm -hmm. And what, what you see in there, mm -hmm. that's you. That's you. I see. What do you mean by this? Like, so what, what, what do you see? How, how does this mirror work? Because I don't have children. So right. Like, so my children are 10 and 8. Uh, so they are still very, very honest. Very honest. And uh, uh, the way they react to others, to other children and to other adults, and the way they behave in life. Are they afraid to speak up? Uh, you know, if you go into a restaurant, how do they behave? If you go to, if they meet with new kids, how do they socialize? That's what I mean. Are they fragile? Are they afraid? Are they violent? Are they stealing uh, stuff? Because they are children. Mm -hmm. 
you know, this kind of the, the development of your child, and then I don't necessarily mean educationally that they are smart in school and first in class, whatever. That's not that important. It's much more important that are they growing up to be the man uh, you want them to be, or you ever wish to be yourself? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? To yeah. be a good person, because they will, they are our future, and you will live forever in them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. how you are remembered by them? Yeah. And at the same time, based on what you said, is that because in the in the first part of your life or in the early years, you are the reflection of your parents' thinking. It's a perfect feedback for you as a person mm -hmm. and as, as a man. Yeah, of course. So I, you know, I'm very proud of my parents and I love them. And mm -hmm. I, 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 almost every day, I think, if my father is looking down at me from heavens, if he, if he would be proud or not. Mm. I was wondering that how, that if, if you see this in your everyday life, and, and yeah. how, how does it influence you? And when you talk to someone, and you see that they're frustrated, but they don't say it, because they want to be nice, they want to make you upset. And because mm. of this, you will lose the value of their true opinion, or, and you will potentially lose the opportunity to serve them truly and honestly, because mm. you don't really know the truth, because they don't want to tell you. I, I don't want to generalize, uh, so simply if I look at my professional life, I don't have time for those people. Mm -hmm. I don't have time for dishonesty. And uh, there is this, this famous quote that, that you always want to work with people who are smarter than you. Uh, just just be honest and move on and, and, and go on. And if you, if you sit together and you are not willing to tell me your honest opinion, you are not helping me. And even if your honest opinion is bad for me, is that you think that I did something wrong or whatever, then tell me that so I can get better. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's it's not a problem to it's not a problem to be wrong. So like in my profession, we make investment decisions, right? We tell people how to invest their money, uh, and we talk about the economies. It doesn't matter that we are always right. We are talking about unknowns, things which are not known. We just have a lot of information and trying to put together the puzzle, piece together the puzzle. But it doesn't mean that we are always right. We can be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. But then learn from it and move on. So, uh, look, it's, it's a very personal thing that you know, I like to be accepted. Of course, I like to be liked. Almost everybody likes to be liked. We are human beings. And especially if you do public speaking, etc., etc., it feels good uh, to, to, get, to get a good feedback. But it's just as important to get the bad feedback because that's how you get better. And if you get upset and you don't accept it, that's your loss. Then again, it's my responsibility. So, you know, uh, if, if somebody is, is, is like that, somebody is not telling me, I don't have time for them. Life is too short. Then move on. Move on. I see. I see. And paradoxical, this is the point where the nice guy strategy doesn't really work. They want to be nice so that you like them, so that you can, so that they feel they give you more. But the opposite is actually happening. Right. It's it's just look. Uh, again, uh, it's a very competitive environment. Uh, what I mean, uh, and even with my competitors, uh, mm -hmm. we don't hate each other. We are actually friends. We know each other. We have a very good relationship. But we are competing, and we are nice to each other, and we are honest to each other. If somebody starts to lie in my life, uh, mm -hmm. I always thought to my we have this rule with my with my wife, no lies. There's no time for that. How how can you how can you live your life 
uh, and know that you have this baggage on your shoulder which you cannot talk about, which, yeah. which you have to carry this with you. Why? Why? If you make mistakes, fine, admit them and move on. Yeah. It's like having a thorn in your skin and not taking it out because it will hurt. Right. And then yeah. you keep the thorn in your skin and it just grows and worse and, and worse, worse, worse and worse and worse and then at the, at the end you lose your finger. Yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. so that's not the Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember the other question. So mm -hmm. you were talking about being able to to serve and to give to people, mm -hmm. and I wonder how how happiness is related to this because many people are asking the question. I actually made the poll on Facebook that what uh, if anyone wants me to ask you something, and multiple people ask me if you're happy. Mm -hmm. So I'm like 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 I'm curious. Are you happy? <laughs> and the secondarily, you talk a lot about about purpose, about being able to being able to give, and I think it is possible to just go back and produce a maple syrup in a farm and be happy, but mm -hmm. then you're losing this thing to take much more responsibility that you that you right. are comfortable with, and you can grow beyond happiness. Can we say this? Yeah. Uh, uh, first of all, number one is yes, I am happy. Uh, I'm happy, uh, I'm at the right place. Again, everybody has to be at the right place. I, I, I love what I do, uh, I have a loving family, uh, and I love my life, I cherish life. Uh, and I'm an optimist, I'm a born optimist. Uh, I think people are good, and I think we will pull through. Uh, but as I'm getting older, I'm also getting concerned. Uh, I'm getting concerned with everything what goes on in the world, I'm getting concerned with populism, I'm getting concerned with, uh, with uh, income inequality, I'm getting concerned with climate change, that we as human beings, or, or a part of society, is just being irresponsible. And instead of facing the problems, you know what I told you before, that solve the problem and move on. Don't just talk about it, you don't need slogans, we need solutions. And I'm one of those guys, and I was always in my life, that when I faced the problem, I solved it and I moved on. And I was not afraid to get myself, uh, to get my hands dirty. Uh, we need to solve the problem. We don't need to talk about it. We don't, it's, it's not enough just to talk about them. We face them, we solve them, we move on. Uh, but I'm, I am a happy person. And I, uh, I feel good in my skin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So... Thank you for your time, George. Absolutely. I really enjoyed this interview. Yeah. And I wish you a great rest of the day. And, and let, let me ask you, what's your, what's your hobby for this year? And what's your hobby for, for next uh, year? I, to tell you honestly, I have not figured it out yet. But it's very early. <laughs> <so> I, have <laughs> plenty of time. I haven't figured it out yet. Uh, I'm thinking of a couple of things, but uh, it's just I'm, I'm still thinking about it. Okay. I actually wanted to learn bridge. That was one of the things which I've been missing from my life. Okay. I always wanted to, to learn how to play bridge. And do you dance? Hmm? Do you dance? Uh, with my wife, I do. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I love to dance, but I'm, I'm one of those dancers who always counts in his head. One, two, three, four, <laughs> one, two, three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in that case, I can only recommend you salsa. <laughs> Dancing salsa, and it's a, yeah, it's yeah. a phenomenal. Absolutely. Thank you okay. very much. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you.